0: Well brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in our previous worship service pastor Tim began by asking you a question and his question was are you wise Well now in this service I also want to ask begin by asking a question what's in a name Names are important things. Names are a necessary fact of life. And the question, what's in a name, was made famous by Shakespeare, as some of you will know. A rose by any other name would smell just as sweet. So what difference does it make? What what name is given to a person or an item? And in relation to our Lord's Day this afternoon, the, the question is, why should the name of the Son of God, this child who was born in, in a, the town of Bethlehem, why should he be given the name Jesus? Why was it so important that he have this name that angels were sent to tell the parents? Well, in the name Jesus we see a name of critical importance because it contains everything that God wanted His Son to accomplish on earth. He wanted the name of His Son to be a revelation, a, a declaration of God's work, and a reflection of His character. And in the name of Jesus, God declares to the world the mission of the Son of God, His mission is to save. And whatever else you may think of Jesus, whether you think of him as a great teacher or a miracle worker or an example to follow or a lord and a king, whatever role you may think of Jesus having, those roles all flow from the name Jesus, Savior. Savior, of his people. And it's this role as savior that stands at the forefront and runs through all the work that he does while living on earth. And so today this afternoon this evening we'll see that Jesus Christ is our complete savior, our only savior and first we'll see that he is also our needed savior. And so our catechism we say that Jesus means Savior. Why is Jesus called the Son of God? That is, Savior. And this is an accurate enough definition of the name Jesus, but you can go deeper than simply Savior. Because Jesus is the, the English and the Greek version of the Hebrew name Joshua. And Joshua is a combination of God's name, Yahweh, and the word save. It really means Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is my Savior. And because of this deep meaning to the name Jesus or Joshua, for centuries the names Joshua and Jesus have being given to the children of believers. It makes for a great confession of faith for parents to place upon their children. But although this was and and continues to be a common enough name, it has its full significance only in the naming of that child in Bethlehem. Because someone might name their child Joshua or Jesus as a confession of faith But it's the child born in Bethlehem who is given that name not as, or at least not only as a confession of faith, but as a mission statement. He is the one who is going to save. And saving is what he entered the world to do. That's what we read in Matthew chapter 1. We're told that the angel said, His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so, out, so throughout his earthly life, he bore the name as the man who would save sinners. And he still bears that name today as the one who saves sinners. It reflects who he is, who he is to believers. It reflects who he is to those who are lost. He is the one who is needed by them. He is the one they need. He's the one who is destined to bring life and light and salvation to a world that is so often lost in sin and suffering under the effects of sin. Sin is all the sign we need of how desperately we need a Savior. It's what the world has always desperately cried out for ever since the fall Sin has held this world captive, and we continue to see the devastation of of sin throughout this world today. We see it in school shootings. We see it in wars between states. We see it in bankruptcy and divorce and poverty. We see it in the oppression of different groups of people. And the world has always sought ways to to rescue itself from these effects of sin. The world looks for a savior. It looks for ways to end poverty and and social injustice. So we create welfare systems and food banks and different programs to, to lift people up out of poverty, to free them from oppression. We try to end or limit some of the effects of sin, and there's no doubt that 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 is good work that we can and should do as Christians. But even if every person on earth was rich, if everyone was freed from the oppression of a tyrannical government, people would still be sinners, sinners, They would still inflict pain and suffering upon one another because that is their nature. And worst of all, if they aren't believers, then they're doomed and damned. Because the greatest evil in the world is not poverty or injustice or war. These are just symptoms of the disease and the mission of our Savior when he came into the world was not simply to treat the symptoms, but to save us from sin. Because sin is the greatest evil. And by nature, each person who lives on this earth is lost and wandering. Wandering down a path that leads to hell and eternal destruction. And earlier we read a number of parables from the Gospel of Luke. Luke. There's a man who lost his sheep and he goes out and and seeks it. He hunts for it and finds it. There's the woman who lost her coin and she ransacks her house until she finds it. There's the father whose son has run away and is now returning and he stands there seeing him and he rejoices at the sight. And all three of those parables... They represent the love of God in seeking and saving the lost, of seeing sinners repent, of seeing sinners see the need that they have for Jesus. And the, then those parables, they, they show what Jesus came into this world to do, as the one who hunted for those who were lost to call lost sinners like you and me to believe in him and to find their salvation in him alone. Because you and I were, at one point, a lost sheep that needed to be rescued, a coin that needed to be found, a son or daughter straying from their heavenly father. And God continues the work of bringing lost sinners to repentance also through his church. He works through us to call all people to repent and believe in him because in him alone is salvation. In him alone is freedom from the guilt and punishment of sin. In him alone we find the Savior that we and all who live on this earth so desperately need. And this is the mission of Jesus Our Savior. It's a mission He comes to accomplish through His church primarily, as those who were once in need of salvation now have the privilege of bringing the good news of salvation to those who have not yet heard it. That then is the need for this Savior. Now we also look at how he is our complete Savior. No other person who has ever borne the name Jesus or Joshua has ever been able to do what this name implies. No one else can live up to the full meaning of this name and actually save. And yet in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we find a Savior who is indeed able to save completely. And in, in Scripture, and especially in the parables that Jesus taught, we're given a picture of what this salvation looks like. And it's especially salvation from sin and our standing before God because of sin. Sin is frequently compared to, to debt in Scripture, and each time that we sin against God, our debt will increase. And our debt is so great that, in fact, we could never hope to pay it off. It's constantly growing. But in some of the, the, some of the Scripture passages, our, our Savior is shown to have paid off this debt completely. There's no debt that remains. He has ransomed us and freed us from our debt of sin. And then, in turn, when we are united to him by faith, his righteousness is counted as our righteousness. And we move from being debtors to to being heirs. So that's one picture of, of what Jesus saves us from and how he saves us completely. But sin is also spoken of as an offense. Sin offends God, it rouses his anger. And one example of this is in Daniel chapter 9. There Daniel is in exile and he he prays to the Lord and he says, O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city Jerusalem because of our sins. The sins of the people angered God. It broke the relationship that existed between him and his covenant people. And as a result, they were punished for their sin by being sent into exile. But there is another judgment of exile in store for sinners. God is still angered by sin. And he, in his perfect holiness and justice, will one day condemn sin and punish the sinner with finality. But for you who believe, for you who believe Christ's sacrifice on the cross, it turns away God's anger. It, his sacrifice on the cross, it completely saves you from the offense that your sins have caused. You are saved from the punishment that you deserve because he endured that punishment in your place. The full anger of God against the sins that we have committed was poured out upon Jesus Christ on that cross. And his sacrifice has fully satisfied, completely satisfied God's holy justice so that we can say with the Apostle John that he is the propitiation for our sins. The one who removes and covers and and fully satisfies God for our sins the one who completely heals our relationship with god and so you see beloved our deepest need is not money or peace or pleasure or education or or health in order to to solve some social crisis our deepest need is to have our sins completely forgiven If we don't have this, we are like condemned criminals simply waiting for the day of execution. Our greatest need is not physical need, it's a spiritual need. And this is the salvation that the name of Jesus brings. That while we are guilty sinners, he has bought our forgiveness by his precious blood. He has turned aside God's anger and fully satisfied it. And what's left for us is, as our catechism says, to accept and believe this Savior in faith. And when you believe this message from the heart, then the words of Jesus are also spoken to you. He said, child, your sins are forgiven. And we can rejoice that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's in this way that Jesus saves us from the guilt of the sins that we commit. But the complete salvation we find in in Jesus Christ is even more amazing than simply covering for past actions. He doesn't just save us from the guilt of past sins. In fact, he goes beyond even saving us from the guilt of future sins. He saves us from the pollution and the power of sin that remains within us it would be pretty depressing if jesus fully paid off your debt but didn't change your sinful nature if we could never have any hope of of living in a way that that actually pleased our father but jesus he saves us completely and this involves also the sanctifying work of the holy spirit Forgiveness of sin is only part of our salvation. Our Savior, he also delivers his His people from the love of sinning. He cleanses us, both heart and, and life. And so you can think of a, a person who is a kleptomaniac, someone who is addicted to stealing or shoplifting. Now, say they get caught and they're thrown in jail. Say they're given some... ridiculously long sentence that doesn't fit the crime. I should use a different example. Think of someone who commits murder and is thrown in jail for for 10 years and then after five years the governor decides that they're going to issue them a pardon. Well in that case when that pardon is issued Their guilt is is canceled, it's removed. They no longer have to pay for the crime that they've committed. But now say that that person is addicted to the thrill of, of killing or of stealing. Well, as long as they are controlled by that feeling, they will go out and commit the same crime again. Because a governor can't change the heart. But when God pardons us for the sake of Jesus Christ, he also cleanses the heart by the power of his Holy Spirit. And in this way, he delivers us not only from guilt, but also from the power and pollution of sin. He breaks the chains of sin. And Jesus pours out his Spirit upon you so that your nature is renewed. And now you, you are able to live as God's children. As children who can, can please your Father. And we confess this later on in the Catechism in, in Lord's Day 32. There we say that we have not only been redeemed by Christ, but we're also being renewed by His Spirit. So that even now we are able to live thankful lives. Lives in which we can praise God. And in Lord's Day 44, we say that while in this life, even the holiest have only a small beginning of disobedience, nevertheless, with earnest purpose, they do begin to live according to all the commandments of God. You see, the Holy Spirit is more powerful than sin. Jesus as Savior, is more powerful than the sin that remains within us. And he can break it completely. He completely saves us. And when Jesus saves us, he cleanses our heart. He delivers us not only from the guilt of past sins, but also from the pollution of sin. He grants you what we would call both your justification and he begins your sanctification so that we are saved and we are being saved and we will be saved completely by Jesus. And because the salvation we have in Jesus is so complete, we also confess that he is our only Savior. Now, for many of us, as we read through this this confession, the second question and answer It would be easy to see the word saints and get hung up on on certain Christian groups that, that venerate saints and believe that saints somehow contribute to the salvation of other Christians. But don't let that word saints distract you from the next words in our confession. Because right alongside saints, we see in themselves or anywhere else. And this is the trap that I think we can fall into from time to time. On the one hand, yes, someone might say quite wrongly, well, the saint was so holy that their good deeds can be used to save me, or or surely I can have them plead on my behalf. And we might look down upon that and And we would rightly reject those beliefs because no one can pay for the sins of others and no one can live up to God's standards on their own strength. But on the other hand, we must also be aware of the temptation to say, well, I'm good enough without saints. Because you're not. The saints weren't good enough on their own you won't be good enough on your own either. Scripture clearly teaches that the most righteous acts that we will ever do are filth before God. Or there are some who say, my own religiosity will save me. I tithe, I give to the poor, I don't curse. I believe the right things, I do the right things. Well, it's all a form of of legalism. Legalism, which makes Jesus out to be no more than a moral teacher, someone who who shows us the way to salvation rather than being the way of salvation. He is the Savior. He is the one who saves. And if you believe in Jesus but regard him only as a wise teacher, thinking that by following his teachings you can somehow become a holy person, That you can somehow please God enough that he will have no choice but to save you. And that upon the ground of your own actions you would reach heaven. Well, that's the attitude of someone who who sees themselves as a savior rather than Jesus. And Jesus has become only a guide. He's no longer the way to be made righteous and to be saved. As we say in our catechism, there are only two possibilities: Either Jesus is not a complete savior, which Scripture denies, denies, or those who by a true faith, receive this Savior must find in him all things necessary for their salvation. There is nothing that you or I could ever add to our salvation. There is nothing that you or I could add to the salvation of someone else. As one Puritan said, I contribute nothing to my salvation but the sin that made it necessary. And so, brothers and sisters, don't look to yourselves for your salvation. Don't look to others for your salvation. Look to Jesus for your salvation. Because he has paid it all. And the gospel news is it is finished. Now, brothers and sisters, this then is what he has done for us. He has given us a a complete salvation. He has freed us from the guilt and, and punishment and the power of sin. And one of the authors of our catechism, he put it beautifully. He said, I know that I who believe in him who belong to his people and thus am baptized as a member of Christ and his people. I have been saved from my sins by his merit, so that they are pardoned forever. I also know by, by, that by his power, he will rid me of the remaining sin that afflicts me. And when he appears for our redemption, he will completely reveal in me The eternal life that he has begun by his Spirit. Thus, I believe that it is also for my sake that the Son of God bears the glorious name Jesus. He bears that name for you, brothers and sisters, because he is your Savior. So, what's in a name? In the name Jesus, you see anything you could ever hope for. You see everything you could ever dream of, everything you could ever need is captured in that one name, Jesus. Amen.